Hi, I'm Josh Shearer and I serve as the lead pastor here at Gawley Uniting Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. We exist as a church to see lives transformed with the good news of Jesus. Now, I hope this service inspires you. I hope it blesses you. I hope it builds your faith and I hope it gives you perspective that God is moving in your life. If there is anything that we can do to help you, don't be afraid to reach out on social media or email our office. Thanks for joining us again and let's get to the service. Hey, I want to start off by doing something um, a little bit unusual. This needed to be done until a minutes in service. But here's what I'd love for us to do. With this section over here, so everybody in that section, and this section over here, everyone in that section, let's give the people in this section a big round of applause because they don't have any heaters on the walls next to them. Give them a big round of applause. These people here, you guys are like the courageous, the most inspiring people in all of Gawler this morning because you could have taken the heated seats, but you chose to sacrifice for all of us that were sitting on the edges and sat in the cold section of the church. And I'm just incredibly grateful. In all seriousness, though, I do want to honor somebody, but I'm not even sure if, um, if she's actually she is. So I'd like to honor someone. I've been around kind of the church world my entire life, and I'll give you a little bit of background on me in just a moment, but I just turned 45 years old, and I know I don't look that old. If I took my hat off, you'd, you'd discover, yes, he does look that old. Um, but my parents were in pastoral ministry and still are. They're in their early 70s, been pastoring their whole lives. And here's what I've discovered. I think Josh is a phenomenal guy. We hang out multiple times a month, mostly online, and I think he's a phenomenal leader and a phenomenal guy. But he, yeah, we can give him a big round of applause. But here's what I know to be true, and I'm going to do this quickly because I think she's exiting the building. Eloise is the person behind the legend, and just like my mum and my wife, here's what I know to be true. Winston Churchill, I actually think, was the first to say this, that behind every great man is an even greater woman. And so I think it's important for us to honor and celebrate Eloise as she exits the building this, this morning. So thank you, Eloise, for all that you do. I know that most of it is behind the scenes. What many of you don't know is that this morning, about 8.45, Eloise brought two young girls into the building, while many of you are probably maybe still sleeping or at least getting ready for church, and she does so much behind the scenes. I know, even though I don't live here, I know that she does that because of what I get to experience and see and hear from Josh um, that God is doing here at Gola. So I just would encourage you, honor Eloise this morning at the end of your time together. Maybe stop by during morning tea and thank her for all that she does behind the scenes. Hey, we're in um, part two of this series here at uh, Gola Uniting called Starting Point. And if you're not familiar, maybe you're brand new to church, maybe you're brand new to Gola Uniting, maybe this is your first time here at the church, or maybe this is your first time in church ever. Maybe you came to church this morning and you were a bit nervous because coming into the building, you kind of thought, if I go in there, Will that building still be standing? Is it possible that it might get struck by lightning if I go into that? Maybe that's your story. I don't know what your story is. But here's what you need to know is we're in this series here called Starting Point, And this is a eight-part series. It's like the series that never ends kind of thing, okay? So if you're kind of familiar with Netflix or Stan or any of those kinds of things on television, 
it's kind of like a series around one topic that we're going to talk about for a couple of months. And here's what I know about series. Maybe you're not into Stan or Netflix. Maybe you're going, hey, what, is that? what are those words? See one of the kids that just exited a moment ago after the service. They'll explain the whole thing to you, okay? Maybe you're into book series, perhaps. Maybe you like reading novels and series of novels. Here's what you already know about series. If you don't start at the beginning of a series, you will oftentimes miss some of the elements that are really important if you kind of come into the middle of a series. My wife and I, we love watching Netflix series and Stan series and a whole bunch of them, and I am always guilty. I'm the guy that walks into the living room and I start asking questions, and we're in episode four of season one, and my wife and kids are like, Dad, Stop asking questions and just go back and watch the beginning of the series. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you haven't been a part of this series, if you missed part one, you've got to go back and watch part one. You can check it out on the church's YouTube channel and on the website. There's a link right there on the homepage. So make sure you go check that out. I'm going to do a quick recap, though. So I want to turn your attention to the screens up here. Here's the quick recap that we're going to do. We started off this series, and we'll go to the next slide, with this idea that everything has a starting point. Everything in life has a starting point. I'm going to share with you my actual starting point this morning, okay, in just a moment. But faith is also something that has a starting point for all of us. This is what Josh talked about last week, and again, you've got to go back and watch part one of this to get caught up on all of that. But here's what happens, I think, oftentimes with faith. Oftentimes, faith begins as a child with a starting point that doesn't always survive our adulthood. Oftentimes, it actually doesn't survive high school and definitely not university. And so for a lot of adults, it's important for them to kind of come back if they're interested and intrigued or curious about things of faith, come back and visit their starting point and maybe even find a different starting point than the one that they started off with in childhood. That's an important thing. Don't miss that. Oftentimes, for many of us, we started off with this whole faith idea because somebody, and uh, they, they grabbed one, is at a church somewhere, and they said, hey, everything you need to know about faith is all filled right here in this book. And although that's true, that's not actually the starting point of faith for the people that are in this book. In fact, the second half of this whole book started off not because of this book. It didn't exist back then. It started off because of an event that was recorded in this book. But I don't believe that Captain Cook discovered Australia because it was written in some textbook that I grew up reading in school. I believe that because it actually happened that were with him recorded the event so that you and I could still know about it. The same is true with Christianity. We believe in Jesus not because of some book told us about him, but because he really existed, died on a cross, he was buried, and then this is the game changer. And this is a stretch, I'll be honest. For many of us, myself included, this is the point where sometimes the Jesus story is a tough one to really accept. Three days later, he came back to life. That's the event that is the starting point of faith. And I love what Josh said last week. If you're not sure about this whole deal, this whole church deal, this whole Christianity deal, the whole Bible deal, 
I would just encourage you, stick with what Josh said last week. Wrestle with that one simple question, who is Jesus? Don't rest with, is it really possible that they built a boat and saved a whole family from a worldwide flood? Is that even, isn't that even plausible? Get to that after you discover the answer to the question, who is Jesus? Because I think you discover the answer to that question. This has been my experience. When I discovered the answer to that question, it was a game changer for me in helping me discover the answer to so many other questions that I had about this book. Now, I told you I would tell you about my starting point. My starting point, crazy story, because I know you're going to be listening to me and you're saying, where in the heck is that guy from? Sounds like Russell Crowe, his accent's all mixed up, have no idea where he's actually from. My starting point, and I'll give you a little bit of my story, my starting point, slide, actually was Modbury Hospital of all places. Just over 45 years ago, I was born in Modbury Hospital. My parents are from the United States. They moved to Australia in the early 70s, sight unseen. They had never been to Australia. They came and they moved to all places, Elizabeth, South Australia. I know, I can say it's kind of dragged up, not raised. I was actually dragged up as a child, raised up, because I was born in this area and kind of raised in what I would say is probably one of the most famous or infamous parts of Australia, in Elizabeth, South Australia. That's the starting point of my story, and it's a great place to start your story from. But my story, quickly after that, led me when I was four years old to move with my family to Sydney. Fast forward 10 more years after that, I met this beautiful brunette when, we were, when I was 14 years old. I met this beautiful brunette. We're going to bring a picture of her up onto the screen. She had just stepped off the plane the day that I met her from the United States. She was born and raised in the state of Maine, and her family migrated to Australia or immigrated to Australia. And I got to meet her literally within hours of her stepping off the plane. Now, it took me 10 years. It wasn't until I was 24 years old. It took me 10 years to convince her that I was a decent enough guy to spend the rest of her life with. And this is actually just a couple of months before we were married. That is on Mother's Day, just this past Mother's Day, and she hasn't changed a bit. I, on the other hand, have to wear hats and all sorts of other things to cover up years of neglect on this body that I have today. Now, that's my starting point. Continue on from that story. We now have three extra people that have been added to the clan. You'll see a picture of them. This is New Year's Eve 2020, or 2021, I should say. And this is my oldest son, Xavier, my wife, Kristen, my daughter, Olivia, who's 18 years old, and she is the reason why I have a very large collection of medieval weaponry, mostly bludgeons, catapults, and guillotines, that kind of stuff. Just in case 18-year-old boys come near our family, we take care of things with that. And then my son, Miles, who is the life of the party on the left-hand side. And they are just so much fun to be around. In fact, Mother's Day, if we go to the next photo, Mother's Day, we were doing this photo shoot, and uh, this was at our church. We had this photo booth set up, and they did this serious photo. And then the next photo shows Miles and Xavier kind of beginning to have a conversation like they typically do to make fun of their sister, and they oftentimes like to use like trigger words for Olivia, and you'll notice the next photo, they probably have used a trigger word at which she was disgusted by because they know these uncomfortable words that Olivia has that she absolutely hates, and the worst of which is this uncomfortable word here up on the screen, it's the word moist. 
Is there anybody else in the room that hates the word moist? Raise your hand really quickly. A couple of, yep, yeah, a few people up the back. There's just something about that word. Say it out loud real quickly, moist. There's just something about that word that kind of makes you cringe. It makes Olivia say, ugh, like that's the worst word on the planet. She hates that word. And here's the deal. I actually feel like Josh invited me today to do part two of this series because we're going to talk about something I'm not sure Josh wanted to talk about in church. <laughs> so maybe he was like, hey, you know what, Pergo, you take part two of the series because it's a word that nobody wants to talk about in church, including the pastor doesn't. So we'll get the visiting guy to do it. So here's the good news is if you are brand new to Gola Uniting, first time ever, good news is this. I'm not here for the rest of the series. So you can come back if you didn't like today, and you'll get a much better experience next and I guarantee it. Because we're going to talk about a word here in just a moment that is a difficult word, not just in church, but it's a difficult word in all of society. Before I get to it, though, here's what I'd love for you to do. Think about the most uncomfortable word that you have in your world. And then I would love for you, if you're comfortable in doing it, would you share your uncomfortable word with the person next to you? I'll give you like 20 seconds to do that. And by the way, you're allowed to talk in church. This is the kind of church you can talk to your neighbor in. Even while the dude up the front with the hat on is still talking, you can talk amongst yourselves. I'll give you 20 seconds to do that. Most uncomfortable word. Feel free to share it with somebody else. Okay, I'm going to wrap up our discussion right there. This would be the worst idea on the planet for me to ask you to share the most uncomfortable words. So we're not going to do that this morning, but I'm going to take you to the word that is pretty uncomfortable for most of us, and especially when it comes to church. And if you're not a church person, if this is your first time here, I just want to kind of recognize this is an uncomfortable word for us to talk about, okay? Is the word sin. Sin's not a fun word. It's not a fun word to talk about, and honestly, it's not a fun word to even speak about in church. But yet, here's the reality, and, and I bet even if you're not a church person, you probably knew this, and if you're watching online, you, you've clicked on a church website and you're watching a message, you probably assumed at some point during the conversation, we're going to talk about Jesus, and Jesus talked a lot about this word. But it's not the way that I think you and I typically think of this word. Jesus approached it with a completely different end in mind than most of us think of this word today. See, most of us, the reason why we find it so uncomfortable to talk about sin is because we feel like when you talk about sin, it's incredibly condemning. It's like every single finger is being pointed at you. Like there's no out. There's no escape. When you say, hey, that person sinned, it's kind of like the finish of the story. There's no option to go a different direction. There's no wiggle room. It's just kind of that person's toast. They've got no chance. And then if you start to talk about yourself as a sinner, whoa, that's really difficult because now you're admitting that maybe you're toast and you've got no out 
and you've got no wiggle room. Which is why I think we oftentimes in society, we like to use a different word. It's a bit softer. It's got a, a few loopholes to it. It's the word mistake. Mistake is a much easier word than sin. Here's the reason why. Mistake, it immediately offers loopholes. It immediately offers some outs, or it immediately offers some wiggle room. Not that kind of wiggle room, but it offers wiggle room because if I say I'm a sinner, I've got no options other than to be completely condemned. But if I say I made a mistake, it means that there are some outs and there are some options. If you don't believe me, I just want to take a quick survey, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but let's say I surveyed the room, and I came in here and I asked the question, how many people would say that they've, you can go to the next slide, have made a mistake in their life? Raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. But let's just say I was surveying the room. I don't think there'd be anyone in the room that would prob probably have a problem with saying, you know what, Jason, that's but I'm willing to go with it. I've definitely made some mistakes. I'll, I'll raise my hand over a mistake. But if I came in the room and said, hey, I'd like to take a survey, how many people in the room would say, I've sinned this morning or I've Not so easy to raise your hand. See, the difference between being a sinner and, and making mistakes is vastly different. That's why I think it's so uncomfortable for us to talk about this idea of sin. But let me ask you this question. Have you ever made a mistake on purpose? Have you ever actually made a mistake, not by accident, but on purpose? I do it all the time. In fact, I get in my car sometimes and I drive to the mistake. Here's a picture of the mistake I oftentimes drive to in my car on purpose. <laughs> on purpose, I'm driving along, I make a conscious decision to not go to the healthy option, but I make the mistake of turning the car on purpose into the unhealthy option. And we can laugh about that in church, you know, the Macca's meal, that's kind of funny, but what about when you're reading the newspaper or when you watch television and that, that footy player gets up on, on the news and they start talking about their mistakes? Not the footy players from Adelaide or Melbourne. I'm talking about the Sydney and Brisbane type of footy players, okay? And they start talking about, I'm so sorry because I, I made a mistake. And you read further in the article or you listen to the news report a little bit further and you're like, wait a second, that wasn't a mistake. You treated that woman with dishonor? for four years. What do you call that? A mistake? Or that politician that has blown up his marriage or blown up her marriage and blown up their entire office and blown up their constituencies, and they get up on television and they say, well, I'm just so sorry I made this mistake. And we all know that it was on purpose. It wasn't an accident. What do we call that? Do you call that a, a premeditated mistake? <laughs> Is that what we call that, premeditated mistake? I don't think so. What do we do with that? What do we do with the person that gets up and apologizes for a mistake that they've done over and over again for the past four years, and 
they not been caught, they probably wouldn't have apologized and admitted to a mistake in the first place. What do we call that person? Do we call them a, a mistaker? Oh, they're just a mistaker. It's, a, it's, it's okay. Let me ask you another question. This is probably even more important question. How do you actually fix a mistake? How do you fix a mistake? This is not a trick question, by the way. Also, this is the time when you're allowed to speak out loud. Starts with the letter C, by the way, the answer. What do you do? You, you confess it, correct it. That's right. You correct a mistake. That's why we oftentimes do math problems in pencil, because then we can rub it out, we can erase it, and we can correct the mistake. That's what you do with a mistake. But here's a more powerful question for us to wrestle with this morning. Not just how do you fix a mistake, but how do you fix a mistaker? How do we fix a mistaker? And it's easy for us to point the finger at the news article or the newspaper or the footy player or the politician, but come on, let's be honest. Lean in for just a second. I mean, seriously, physically lean in if you'd like to. Say we're just having a cup of tea. I had one this morning down at Macca's, met a couple of guys down there, and we're being honest over a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. I think all of us would admit we're all mistakers. We don't even live up to our own standards, let alone God's standard. I don't want to go to Macca's and eat unhealthy food. I don't even meet my own standard let alone God's standard. So how do you fix a mistaker? You don't just correct a mistaker because if all you needed to do was correct a mistaker, I wouldn't weigh as much as I weigh right now because I would have corrected that a long time ago. Lots of people would say my relationships wouldn't be where they are today if all you had to do was correct a mistaker. My relationships and the problems with those would have been solved a long time ago. There's something more than just correcting when it comes to a mistake. So I want to make a suggestion this morning, and I'm just going to ask you to go along with this just for a moment. Just play along for maybe the next five, ten minutes. I want to suggest a starting point when it comes to this idea that I think is incredibly helpful when it comes to starting out in faith, maybe restarting your faith when it comes to this concept. And here's what I want to do. I want to give you a definition of a mistake or even that word that we don't like to say, a sinner. I want to give you one that I think we can all agree with. A sinner is simply this. It's someone who knows better, but do it anyway. It's not an accidental mistake. Oh, I accidentally pulled into Macca's. <laughs> no, it's somebody that knows better, but they do it anyway. That's a starting point that I want us to just kind of be with this conversation today. And here's what I want to do now is I want to turn our conversation towards what Jesus had to say about this idea of sin and sinners, because I think it's completely different, at least it was for me, than the idea or the destination that I oftentimes think of when I think of the word sin or sinner. See, Jesus talked a lot about this. He talked a lot about this in his teaching, and those first followers of Jesus, those early disciples, heard Jesus teach about this on a, on a consistent basis. 
And Jesus, when he thought of the definition or the destination of somebody being a sinner, he thought of it in terms of this. He thought of it as restoration, not condemnation. So remember at the beginning we said that part of the reason we struggle with the word sin is because it feels so condemning when you hear it. Condemning of others and even condemning of ourselves. But that wasn't what Jesus had in mind when he taught this word sin and this concept of sinners. His idea was restoration, not condemnation. And that is a game changer for many of us. I love the way that Jesus began when he taught about sin. It's not the way that you would think somebody would begin teaching about sin because if his destination is restoration, not condemnation, he wouldn't have been so forceful and so in your face when it came to sin. But Jesus had the end in mind as he began teaching about sin. There was a group of religious leaders that had gathered around. He began to teach about sin, and, and he started off by explaining to them that we are all in the same boat. When it comes to sin, we're all in the same boat. One of Jesus' first followers, a guy named Matthew, who was an eyewitness, he was there with Jesus in the first century, and he took careful consideration to record the words that Jesus would teach when he was out teaching in big, large gatherings and in small clusters. Matthew records these words for us that Jesus said as it relates to sin. He says this, for I tell you, next slide in Matthew, for I tell you, we'll go to the next one after that. There we go. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of God. Now, you need to understand, especially if kind of new to the Bible thing, maybe not as familiar with the characters of the story in the first century of when Jesus was living, this group of people that Jesus was talking to had people that were known as Pharisees and teachers of the law in that group. Now, these were like pastors of churches. These were what I would call professional religious people. They were paid to do the right thing. They were paid not to turn into Maccas. They were paid to stay straight, go to Subway and get the meal with the wrap without the bread or whatever. They were paid to do good. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, their full-time job was to do good and to live righteously, which is what that big word righteousness literally means, is to be good. And Jesus made you that unless your goodness, your good works, is better than that of the people that are professional religious people, then you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven, which his audience, I'm sure, is going, that counts me out. I've got no chance. If the paid professional good people aren't going to make it, and if my righteousness doesn't surpass theirs, then I'm not going to make it, then that kind of counts me out. You would think that would be enough, that Jesus has made his point. Everybody's kind of in trouble. But Jesus doubles down, and he gets in people's face, and he says, let me give you an example. Next verse, he says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, in which most of the people in the audience, hopefully everyone in the audience here today, would probably say, I'm good, haven't murdered. But Jesus says, no, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. before you race ahead. You've ever had anger towards 
anybody, that's the same as murder. At which the crowd, I'm assuming, probably would have gone, well, then I'm out. And if that wasn't enough to get everybody to realize, hey, we're all in the same boat with this mistake thing, Jesus doubles down again, and this is a tough one for all the guys in the room. So all the guys in the room, just lean in for a second. All the ladies in the room, take a deep breath, you're off the hook. Jesus goes on and he says this, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And every guy in the room, it's like you want to pull Jesus aside. Jesus, come over here for a second. Okay. We've all seen a lady that we were like, wow, she's amazing. Come on, seriously? I, I haven't done what that footy player said. I'm so sorry. I made a mistake on the news last night. I've not done what he did for the last four years. Jesus says, no, nah. footy player, you, all in the same boat. Look at a woman, lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. The good news is this, <laughs> Jesus doesn't stop there. Yes, we're all in the same boat, and we're all and we're all condemned. We're all in the condemnation boat. All of us together, rowing together in the same condemnation boat. But Jesus goes on and he tells three incredible stories. Three incredible stories. He says these three stories, not of sin, but these three lost stories. And even if you've never been to church before, even if you've never been Golly uniting, or maybe you've never watched online before, I bet you you've heard at least one of these three stories before. The first story is this. He talks about a man who had lost a sheep. Now, most of the people in this room, I bet you have no idea what it feels like to lose a sheep. Maybe a couple of you that live further north. I'm actually staying with some friends up in Wosley. Maybe they know what it's like to lose a sheep because they're kind of out in the woods a little bit. But most of us in the room have no idea what it's like to lose a sheep. But have you ever lost a child before? Not willing to admit it. You'll, don't, don't raise your hand in church. But maybe you've been in the shops. I remember when our three kids were small. I was at a shopping center one time and one of my boys was hiding big circular clothes racks hiding in the middle. You know that experience. We all nodding because we've all had that kid. I'm not going to tell you which one of my boys that was hiding in the clothes rack. And my wife and I are panicking. I didn't go to my wife in that moment and say to Kristen, babe, babe, it's all good. It's all good. Still got Zave. Still got Olivia. We can go home. It's just miles. <laughs> of course not. We panicked. Jesus tells the same type of story of a man that lost out of his hundred sheep, just one sheep. But he didn't say, oh, it's all good, I've got my 99. No, he left the 99 just like I left my two with Kristen, and I went to look for miles. Because every child matters, every sheep matters, and every person matters to the Lord. Then he goes on to tell a story of a lady that had lost a coin. And most of us, again, 
Some of you don't even know what coins are. You've never used them before. Some of you are going to be trying to explain afterwards in morning tea what to somebody in the audience because they're like, coin. So imagine for a moment, our family, this is ridiculous, but we have five iPhones in our home. We've got five adults basically now, and so five iPhones. Imagine we've lost an iPhone, especially my 16, 18, or 20-year-old loses their iPhone. They don't say, oh, Dad, it's all, it's all good. We've got four other iPhones. No, we shut the house down to find that last iPhone. Jesus tells a story of a lady with a lost coin. It's just like the lost iPhone. She shut the place down to find her lost coin. Probably the most famous of the lost stories Jesus tells is the story of the lost son, or the prodigal son, you may have heard the story before of a man who had two sons. One of his sons, kind of wayward, comes to his dad, really is that his dad had already passed away by now. Imagine that conversation, Dad, I wish you had already passed on. Could I take half of the inheritance that to do when you finally do kick the bucket? Because <laughs> I wish you already had. Can I take it now and go live my life the way I want to live it? And the father loves the son so much that he allows him to do that. He watches his son as he goes off, lives his life the way he wants to squanders half of his dad's wealth. But then listen to the end of the story. And this is powerful. Don't miss this. Listen to the end of the story. Luke records for the words that Jesus said. When the son came back, listen to what the son said. This is important. Father, he says, after he realized the stupidity of the way he had been living, Father, I have mistaked against heaven and against you. Nah. So key. The son said, Father, I haven't just mistaked. I've sinned. It's like he looked in the mirror and he finally recognized the error of his ways and he wasn't going to get up and say, I'm so sorry, I made a mistake. Nah. It's bigger than that. Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, this is a fictitious story that Jesus is telling. But the whole point of the story, don't miss this. Don't miss this. If you've been counting how many pipes are on the organ behind me for the last 30 minutes or so, stop counting. We'll tell you the exact number here in just a second. Just lean in. How many? 90, 90 pipes. Now you know the number. You don't have to keep counting. Listen very carefully. The whole point of the story is for people to understand how the Father sees those that have sinned. And it's completely different than the way we see it. The Father responds. But the Father said to his servants, quick. I love that word, quick. He doesn't say to his servants, hey, Let's just wait a couple of months and see if he really means it. Hey, let's, let's just see if, they, if he keeps going to church every Sunday like he said he was going to go. And let's see if he cuts his hair and gets a job and stops doing drugs and stops drinking and stops sleeping around. Fill in the blank with whatever you want that that son had probably been up to. 
The father doesn't say, let's wait and see. He says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And then I love this next line. He says, because my son, next slide, who once was lost is now found. And my son who was dead, if we go to the next slide, We'll get the, there we go. For my son of mine who was dead is now alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. See the difference between the way that we see this word sin or this recognizing of ourselves as a sinner? It's completely condemning to us. But to Jesus, to our Heavenly Father, it's actually restoring it's the starting point of restoration. In fact, the way I like to say it is this, that recognizing that I'm a sinner, we'll bring up the next slide, recognizing that I'm a sinner leads to restoration, not condemnation. When I look in the mirror and I say, you know what, I'm not a mistaker, I'm actually a sinner. It doesn't lead me to condemnation. That's not the Jesus way. The Jesus way leads to restoration. It's such an important, critical place for us to start. When it comes to faith in Jesus, it's so important for us because when it comes to forgiveness and, and understanding and experiencing forgiveness from Jesus, it's really difficult to experience forgiveness from somebody when you just tell them, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. When you say, I'm sorry, I've sinned, you're admitting fault and you're opening the door to forgiveness from the other person. The same is true with our Heavenly Father. When I stand before my Father and I don't try to find a loophole, I don't try to find an out by saying, I'm sorry I'm a mistaker, I'll correct it next time. But I simply say, I'm sorry I'm a sinner. We actually open the door to forgiveness. I'm going to ask the band, if they would, to come. We're going to sing one song. You guys can make your way up on the stage. We're going to sing a song to wrap up our time together this morning. And I've asked them to sing what I refer to as an oldie but a goodie. Some of you in the audience are probably going to say, wait a second, that's not that old. Or, I've never heard this song before, maybe even. But the song has some powerful, powerful words. And I want to read the first, the first verse of the song. Here's the powerful words. It says, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the whisper in the dead of night. I love those words. I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like because I don't know what your story is like, but I know for me, the stories I heard of what God was like were pretty condemning of people that had made mistakes. But as I've gotten older and as my faith has kind of become an adult version of my faith, I've now begun to hear whispers of God's love for people that have made mistakes, for people that are sinners like me. And then the chorus of this song, I love the chorus, it says, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. And then I love this, and I am loved by you. Not because I haven't made mistakes. Not because I'm not a sinner, but because I'm a sinner, I am loved by you. That opens the door to be honest and say, you know what? I'm a sinner and I need to receive God's love.
So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to pray for us in just a second. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able to. And I want you to sing along with the band. And when we get to the chorus, I want you to receive God's love this morning, even though we're all in the same condemnation boat. We're all sinners, and that's okay. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, thank you for these amazing stories. Thank you for guys like Matthew and Luke who took the time to sit down and write these words that you spoke so that thousands of years later, in a place like Gola, we could read these stories and be reminded that it's okay to be a sinner because it's the pathway that leads to restoration, not condemnation. God, we're so grateful for that. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me and sing? Well, thanks once again for joining us. If this service has been a blessing to you, why not share it with someone you know? Or better yet, post it on your social feed because you never know how God might use what you share to bless someone you didn't even know needed it. Special thank you if you contribute towards making this ministry possible. We are so grateful. If you'd like to help, head to gawleyuniting.org.au and follow the links to begin giving. God bless you and we'll see you next time.